0: Well, we're thrilled to have uh, Dr. Brooks on today for Aquaponics AI's feature of People of Aquaponics. And Dr. Brooks has been in the industry for a long time, and he's really a pioneer in the aquaponic industry and aquaculture industry. He is uh, owner of a business called next horizons which is focusing on affordable urban aquaponic systems and so we'll share about that today and he's also a professor at the mesa community college so that is the shortest introduction of someone that we're thrilled to have that has so much experience and we look forward to just hearing more about that today and how you can just share with the aquaponic community more of what you're doing and so thank you for joining us today
1: Uh, Thank you. I I appreciate being here greatly, Daniel. I I can say that I am a native Arizonan. I have been born and raised here and always had an an interest in in biology. My father was a preacher. My mother was a hidden figure scientist. Um, They don't know what hidden hidden figures are. Those are African-American, primarily women who were involved in the sciences in the 1950s and 60s that were supported NASA and and all kinds of things and they had, they literally had the ability to do mathematics in their head that got men to the moon but they were unsung uh, hidden because of the racial politics of that time um, she passed away last week and I missed her uh, but um, I'm, I'm just still glad glad to be here uh, but between those two they gave me my impetus as far as um, uh, being able to do science and being interested in science, but also being able to communicate science very well, which is critical today, when uh, it's gotten so complex that many people don't understand it, and it's critical for people to understand how things work and how they can benefit them so that they can make use of them, and that you can use things like sustainability, uh, things like which um, which um, aquaponics is a, thing, a sustainable process um, to. Not just uh, do it, but also to actually solve problems. You can focus it on uh, how do we address the issues, one um, I've been focusing on lately, of food insecurity. Uh, how do you focus it on ways to build necessary business models so that um, uh, aquaponics, as an example, can be successful inside of an urban area on small scales as well as large scales? Uh, how do you use it to address equity issues? How do you use it to to build economic security within community um, communities. now so these are, I think Elon Musk said recently, um, start with a problem, not with a product. And if you do that with aqua, aquaponics as an example. Now I look at aquaponics as, it's just the latest iteration of, of, a, of a method of growing uh, food that's been, been done for thousands of years. Now Integrated aquaculture, agriculture, where you uh, combine uh, the growing of fish with the growing of of, of the whole spectrum of of normally terrestrial plants. And we've been doing this for thousands of years. Um, The the big innovation that we are now using now in in urban areas, um, we call aquaponics, was essentially developed by Dr. Rikosi and others, um, that streamlined it so that it could be um, done in small spaces as compared to the uh, large-scale farms that I started out, out using uh, here in, in Arizona. Um, I, I started growing, working in fish farms in about 1980. And here in Arizona, because we have so little water, I'm sure you've heard the story before, <laughs> but here in Arizona, yeah. because we have so, so little water, we have to um, share or, or find some ways to integrate um land fish farming, so we couldn't do it the way we do it in the Southern United States with big ponds, we just don't have the resources for that, Um, into the enormous cotton farms and citrus farms that we have here. And the one thing, one way to do that was to put the fish into the irrigation canals and various methodologies to accomplish that task. one way this was discovered, I won't say it was the only way it was discovered, but um, we have uh, certain rivers here that, that flood on occasion, at least they used to when they don't, don't anymore uh, because of the drought. And there were large flood control dams that would back the water up occasionally over farms. And when that water would dry out, some of those farmers found their canals full, full of fish and decided to see, can we grow them? You know. And then the university, I don't know all the details that happened here, but um, the University of Arizona um, began to focus on that to see how can we can, how we can refine that into a more controlled um, industry with best management practices and everything else. This was integrated aquaculture agriculture. Well, uh, even, if the, even if the fish provided no nutrients, Uh, the the fish still had a a monetary value. And so the water was expensive. And so hypothetically, if you are growing two crops, whether or not the fish are are, are actually putting fertilizer onto the plants, naturally they were, but it was simply hard to to determine what the actual benefits were. But the monetary value would help to pay for that expensive water that we are now pulling out of the ground. So there were synergisms all the way along. Now it's simply a a desire to refine them so that there are best management practices and and infrastructure in place so that the farmers could actually use this as a a consistent, sustainable crop. So my work uh, from there, uh, um, I worked from there, I started with the university as extension specialist in 1990, approximately. 1990, it wasn't in 1990. But my goal, my desire has always to bring aquaculture into the inner city where I'm from. I was born in Phoenix, Arizona. Um, I was born in an area that is now considered a food desert. And um, it was always my desire to do that. But the, the ability to do so was just too big, too big a projects. We couldn't do it. Too expensive, too large, too, too right. much water, 1,000 a, a acres. Uh, but thanks to um, Dr. Rakosi's initial uh, um, redesign and a significant amounts of research since then to um, uh, make them even more streamlined and less costly and more accessible to more people, uh, we can now um, begin to the process of integrating uh, clearly aquaponics into the urban agriculture systems here in Phoenix. Um, the city has been very, very good about that. Okay. Uh, they have um, embraced it. Uh, I think, think the city of Phoenix is one of the first cities of its size, is the fifth largest city in the United States. Wow. And, and through its, in um, all of its documents now in urban agriculture, aquaponics is mentioned as a preferred method of producing food in Phoenix. And I don't, I don't know any other city that does that, but I mean, there may be. I think Tucson may, may have gone that thing in that direction, but the city thinks it is there in writing, in law, uh, that aquaponics is
0: acceptable in, in the city. Amazing. So, That's amazing. Can you share a little bit about a food desert? What is that to you? And what uh, we're hearing that a lot, um, especially since COVID 19 and different things, but what, what is a food desert?
1: Food deserts and food swamps are those locations where people do not have clear, easy access to healthy food. Uh, for example, it took me a long time to accept that the area that I live in right now, which is clearly middle class, um, was, in a, was anywhere near a food desert. Uh, I have brand new supermarkets. Uh, well, it was new a few years ago, but I have supermarkets. Several supermarkets within a mile, one way with me, a mile another way with me, how could we possibly not have access to healthy food? Well, that's nice if you have the resources to get to um, the supermarket. And there are a lot of people who do not. A lot of people who um, can't make that trip consistently. I am, um, I work a lot in sustainability. Um, I help to, I'll uh, write the general plan for the city of Phoenix. I was vice chair of that effort. Every, every 10 years, a city in Arizona must write its business plan. And I was um, blessed to be um, appointed by the mayor uh, to be on that committee to write the city's business plan. And we put a lot of sustainable, sustainability into that business plan, which was very nice, including urban agriculture. Um, but I like to ride the bus to work on occasion, I like to ride the bus to mason Community College, it's an easy shot. Uh, and I would be on that bus going down what's called baseline road. And I could see on occasion, seniors getting on that bus with arms loads of groceries, trying to go where they're going in 110 degree temperatures and then have to get off that bus and walk <laughs> to wherever they're going. That's unacceptable. But that is a definition of food deserts. And there are many other criteria. There's a thing, if, you're not, if you've never seen it, just it's it's some, some basic um, thoughts for who's listening to this, a thing called the Federal Food Desert Atlas. And then you can right. go to that resource and you can Google it and you can put your address into it and it will show you where all of the food deserts are around where that address you put in is.
0: And you may be quite surprised at what you see. Great. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great resource. And you developed what you're calling kind of a victory garden or is there another name yeah. for that? Can you just share yep. just what, are, what is a victory garden and just yep. share about the impact of that?
1: well the the actual uh, you you always struggle with naming something
0: <laughs>
1: and um for about ten years not there's ten years now two thousand and twelve i've been focusing very much on the idea of what do we need to do in order to um, make aquaponics suitable for the inner city where, where i live
0: mm-hmm.
1: and a lot of it was just to make it easier, less costly, um, uh, get rid of, of all the potential points of failures, like, to, like too many PVC pipes. Um, uh, right. uh, so, someone on um, the internet coined the term of PVC krakens. <laughs> right. You know, so, so how do we do that? And so, um, One way is to make use of of the resources you have in hand. And one thing we have around the city of Phoenix sitting in about every fourth backyard are these above-ground play pools, normally full of green water growing mosquitoes. (laughs) Right. And algae. (laughs) And algae, you know, green water and growing mosquitoes. So if there was some way to easily convert those to aquaponics so they grow food instead it could be quite beneficial. And so I was able to, um, we were able to do that. We, uh, the, uh, I wrote a paper on that. I sent, I sent you a copy. Um, I, I wrote a paper on that in Aquaculture Magazine um, uh, and called about the design thinking, the process with that uh, I used. And it, the basic concept worked. You, know, you, you can only use pools of a certain size. You know, two larger pools won't work because you cannot harvest them pro- properly, uh, but uh, a, uh, a seven by 10 uh, rectangular pool or a 10-foot circular um, circular pool works quite well. It's a, it can be quite productive, and we found ways of uh, growing a fish inside of them so we never have to puncture the, the liner while keeping them sequestered and making sure that all of the required pieces of aquaponics were in place such as the fish tank and the clarifier and the biofilter, and they're all in there and the designs as they've been refined now you can actually build the thing in three hours if you have all all the pieces wow okay and 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 that gives you a, a 70 a 70 or so square feet of, of growing area which is a good Uh, And um, that had been refined and it also reduces the cost by about, it depends on where your starting point is, but around 70%, it it brings the cost down of of building a backyard size unit down about 70%. Yeah, that's
0: significant.
1: Now, whenever you refine something like that, you give more people access to the technology. Now, this is a concept that was was, um, described Uh, by a professor, Clayton Christensen, from Harvard. Uh, He he called it disruptive uh, innovation or the the sister concept, um, catalytic uh, innovation. And it's an old concept, we use it all over time. He didn't didn't create it, he just uh, defined it. And so when you have a a major university, then you have the junior colleges that follow the process. Okay, Um, because the junior college makes things more accessible It doesn't give you everything the major university does that makes it successful for people to start to get their college education. An iPhone, for example, Um, an iPhone has the power of a UNIVAC computer back in 1965, but it's now been streamlined so that anyone can have one in their hands. Right. Um, uh, A major airline versus a low cost airline, It, it all follows the same process and so, uh, by con- by continually streamlining something and make it low, making it lower in cost, you lose some function, but you gain accessibility. And when you gain, gain accessibility, you give people a chance to use it who never had it before. It, it, it's, uh, we have de- democratized aquaculture now using yeah. the, this process where you only have big farms providing everything. Now we have the opportunity to have functional viable, economically viable within certain business models. Um, aquaponics, aquaculture facilities, no, aquaponics, the methods of aquaculture, um, scattered all over the place inside of, of urban areas. Uh, it has not been possible in, at least to my knowledge, in the United States before. Other parts of the world got this down. They do it all the time. But uh, inside of the United States, it's been something that's been difficult. Yeah. But now, by streamlining our aquaponics we can actually do this and this, and then, um, at least phoenix has grabbed on this concept and i'm looking forward to seeing how we can further, further develop it here um now the, the whole victory garden thing that's a long sorry, i should that's my test the case uh the whole um victory garden thing came up during the pandemic um a couple of years ago i was involved in an amazing grant um uh, called the uh, the MBE the M- the M- the aquaculture program, where we're trying to bring more minorities into aquaculture, and we were and we from the, uh, the Department of Commerce, and we discovered that uh, only 11% of the fish farms were owned by minorities. Okay, and that it was very difficult um, to get into the business uh, because of lack of access to capital. You know, all of the business models where you got to build your $300,000 farm and get all this money together before you can get started to have an urban aquaculture business and i knew there had to be some other way of doing that because there are a lot of people who want to do this who just don't have the resources to go out and find i know uh, three bills and build a farm with all the risks that that entails the victory garden movement thanks to the pandemic now the victory gardens for those who are unfamiliar were uh, an idea that the, uh, that the Allies during World War I and World War II implemented so that um, the United States was not the only one. They're called war guards, they first. So that the um, uh, major producers could send their food to the war effort, but you still need to feed your nation. So the idea is that everybody grow, everyone grow for your family. Uh, uh, in your backyard, if you possibly can, grow for your family. And in 1945, um, uh, during World War II, uh, eight, no, 40% of the food in the nation was produced from these war gardens.
0: Yeah, that's um, incredible.
1: But uh, at the beginning of World War II, um, uh, the, the name was changed because of the writings of, of uh, a genius from the PGM Institute Talking about the victory of gardens, and that was George Washington Carver, as a, a bit of history people don't know. And his writings about the victory of gardens influenced the change of the name from War Gardens to Victory Gardens. And so, folks, with the pandemic, when the food chains were broken because all so much of our food came from centralized sources, and when We were unable to move food from point A to point B. Uh, We began to see those food shortages, and they were quite amazing to me. I saw lines of cars in my own neighborhood. I saw lines of cars in Houston, Texas. I'm like, what Mm -hmm. the heck is going on here? Um, People began to say, can we reestablish the Victory Garden idea? But the problem was our 21st century backyards were postage stamps compared to the backyards. During World War II. So I had the idea okay, can we use these, these, these aquaponic methods to change that? Can we grow 800 pounds of food in a postage stamp backyard in Phoenix, Arizona using aquaponics? And the ants, 800 pounds was the average amount that a family grew during World War II. And the answer came out to be yes. Even in a poor growing year like we had last year when we did the test, uh, we were shooting for 400 pounds from a single system, and we only got uh, 300, you no, know, 290, which was which was you no know, two thirds of the way there. But we got a 118 degree heat wave. Right. Well, uh, uh, so there's a term for that. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Some people disagree with, but there's a term for that, uh, and that cut our production back significantly. But um, one of these systems um, has 109 square foot uh, footprint, and so you could fit 3.7 of them into the 400 square feet of garden space that a backyard normally has. Now, mind you, there's no point, no such thing as a point in the system, so just humor me on the math. Um, uh, but when you do the math, you actually can produce more than 800 pounds, sometimes 1,000 pounds of food within that um, 400 square foot footprint. And now we're doing the numbers as far as the, how much water does it take as opposed to a, a raised garden of the same size. And you know, there's a lot of talking that uh, aquaponics uses 90% less water. Uh, we have many able, able to prove that. But um, we have at least by, our per, my personal grade does show 35 percent. And but that's also a matter of, of where the measuring point is. Um, the measuring point that I'm looking at is not uh, with the thing called evapotranspiration, how much water does a plant throw off every day. I'm concerned with how many pounds of food per gallon do I produce. Right. And that's something that can, it's a common denominator, whether you have a thousand acre farm or whether you've got a backyard garden, it's the same measure. So so I can measure how much food, how much water goes on my thousand acre farm. I can measure how much food comes off my thousand acre farm. I can do the exact same measure in my backyard, apples to apples. And that gives us a a more accurate comparison in, in my book. And so, working along those lines, aquaponics shows the potential of being significantly more water efficient, which is critical, at least in Phoenix, because we are, have been in a drought now since 1993 and it's getting worse. So, um, that's the foundation of the Victory Garden idea, uh, the aquaponic Victory Garden idea. And again, this is integrated aquaculture agriculture. And so, um, we you know um, aquaponics has. Has a waste. You know, occasionally you have to change the water um, or, or something happens. And so if we can combine, say, the aquaculture, um, the aquaponics portion with growing a tree, <laughs> it is that simple. Um, um, there are types of uh, citrus trees called fruit cocktail trees. I'm sorry, the t- types of trees called fruit cocktail trees. Uh, these are um, trees within, a, within certain genera. Uh, say a citrus, and then you can graft other citrus onto them, so you have a right. certain you have an orange tree that's also growing grapefruits is also growing um, a variety of of uh, types of, um, of citrus so mam does not live by orange alone, and so when you have a fruit cocktail tree which are you know, easy to create along with the aquaponics um, we we determined uh, that Uh, it can provide actually um, about 35% of the needs of an individual as far as types of food. Uh, The USDA did a study that National Public Radio, so you can look it up, um, um, reported on back in 2011 where it said that Americans eat on average about 1,995, so 2,000 pounds of food each. And then, I, said, I didn't realize I ate, ate a ton of food, <laughs> and and also looking through the data, uh, many other nations eat a whole lot less
0: <laughs> than yes, we do. Yes, exactly, yeah. Uh,
1: okay, but looking at uh, America as the top individual food consumption, then the USDA also did a graph, like, okay, we ate 16 pounds of fish and we ate so much meat and we ate so much fruit and so much vegetables, uh, when you add, it up according to those numbers of the 2,000 pounds, it came to about 750 pounds of that meat could be actually grown in aquaponics with no research. You don't have to figure out that you can grow a tomato. You don't have to figure out that you can grow a cucumber. Okay, these are nothing exotic here. You don't have to figure out that you can grow a catfish. Or if I do include the fish as part of the aquaponics Food production. They are not just there for fertilizer. If you're going to put all that money into these fish, you might as well use them as a product.
0: Yes. Yeah, that's and, I,
1: and I, I came to, Aquacol, to aquaponics as a fish farmer. Right. And so I have a bias there. Uh, but there's so much more work to do because, for, for instance, certain types of plants don't like wet feet. You no, know, they don't like to have their, you know, their feet in the water. But there's so many more that do. Uh, we only in the United States have a limited um, palette, limited spectrum of fish that are um, appropriate for aquaponics currently. No fish that do well without a lot of issues. Uh, catfish, uh, blue catfish, channel catfish, the four species of tilapia um, that are, norm- are normally grown. And some people, some places use a uh, first species, a uh, trout where the water is cold. But there are so many other species that are endemic to the United States. No, I I mean I speak from a United States viewpoint. But there are so many people, uh, other species that are endemic to the United States, such as the uh, what are known scientifically as the centrarchids, but most people know them as um, largemouth bass, smallmouth bass, crappie, bluegill. They are all part of of the same family of fish, and they have not been developed for aquaponics. They will live just fine, but they grow very slowly. So uh, some crossbreeding or something uh, uh, is needed so that they grow at a rate that is economically viable. So, like a tilapia, you can get to a pound in six months. It takes almost three years for for a a bluegill. And so, if we could find a way to change to improve their growth rates without doing, yeah. and the people don't like genetic engineering, so I do not promote genetic engineering. Uh, but if we could find a way, just as with they does the gift to, here, to, to do a, a lot of crossbreeding work in order to create a fish that is more suitable, but, and that will not become, become invasive, then we have, a, that'll give us a lot more fish that we can grow because man does not live by tilapia
0: alone. I like that statement. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. good. yeah, that's good. <laughs> But, well, have- but, but
1: then, well, one last thing. It's very important that in these systems like this, whether it's ones that I developed or anyone else does, that you must be able to do polyculture. Uh, too much, of, in my opinion, of aquaponics has been focused on we're going to grow lettuce. Well, that doesn't do us a, a bit of good uh, here in Phoenix when it's 110 degrees. And we also live 200 miles from the source of half of the lettuce in the United States. Um, having the, lettuce in the United States is grown in Yuma, Arizona, which is 200 miles, so therefore it's very cheap to get lettuce into Phoenix. But if um, I have uh, been worked, I have a list now on m- more than 150 kinds of food um, from um, all kinds of fruiting foods, uh, uh, vegetables, um, um, some root crops you know, such, such as, as, as radishes. Uh, that actually will grow in deep water culture, giving us that spectrum of food necessary to have a, a complete or a more complete diet actually coming from your aquaponic system. And the final thing is that business model of the Victory Garden now finally works again. The cool thing about the, biz- the business model with, uh, with the um, Victory Garden is that you didn't have to go sell anything. It was all for your family. Right. Okay, so, we didn't, so you could grow it all for yourself. And if you could have best practices that will allow you to grow your food for less than it costs to buy it from the market down the street, you win. A penny saved is a penny earned. So if that um, bunch of lettuce costs you a dollar to grow a pound while it's a $2 a pound in the grocery store, Whenever you eat your own food, you just earned a dollar that can, that dollar you're not spending because you're going to eat that lettuce anyway. You're going to eat that 700 pounds anyway. You're going to buy it from somebody. If you're buying it from yourself, you just save your family $700 that can be put
0: somewhere else. Yeah, that's incredible. That's good. Yeah. I mean, you've been at this a long time and you are a pioneer in the field and the industry. What keeps you encouraged? What keeps you just passionate about aquaponics? I know, what, can you touch on that a little bit? Like, especially kind of where the state of the industry is now and then where you see it or where, what's your vision, you know, five years from now, where do you want to see aquaponics?
1: My vision of aquaponics is somewhat like what the city of Phoenix Mm -hmm. is doing. Uh, what, what, what is happening here in the city of Phoenix, um, both on the private sector and on the encouragement from the public sector? Because there are really great people who are doing this um, on the public sector inside of the city of Phoenix, encouraging the urban agriculture of all kinds. I should drop, drop a name right here. I've mean, been in here for less, Roseanne. You're doing a good job.
0: <laughs> anyway, <laughs> uh, um, my
1: my vision, you know, is that um, aquaculture. Integrated integrated aquaculture agriculture now which we now call aquaponics uh, is part of the er, clearly part of the urban agriculture foundations in, in every city that it is environmentally sound uh, that we have a business model so that if people desire to grow food in their backyard they can grow food in, in their backyard um, one of the biggest things you have in, in cities is that the city has to understand what you're doing. The city has to approve what like you're doing. That's just the nature of the city. Living in a city is a compromise. If I want to have chickens, I got to follow the rules. But some folks don't want to have chickens next door. So you come to a compromise. You, you follow the rules, you can have your chickens, whether they like it or not. That's how it is in the city. Uh, so, that the, so that we have those rules that allow aquaponics to be done. We have the business models that will allow aquaponics to be successful, Um, we have um, the ability now for urban agriculture uh, to be accessible to everyone, because um, we've been able to bring the prices down so that more people of more kinds of people can access these resources. um, This is um, my dream. It is great to have the big centralized resources I have nothing against it. You know, if someone wanted to build a you know a, um, an occupant facility that produced a million pounds of food in, in Phoenix it would be great well, Phoenix metropolitan the area. But Phoenix all by itself eats um, I think it's close to see what's whatever whatever two thousand times um, times uh, uh 1.6 million million people. Where is that three billion pounds of food? Okay, that we eat. Okay, we eat three three billion pounds of food. So within that amount of food somewhere there should be accessible to local food grown here. It doesn't all, it doesn't all have to be shipped in. And so, and, and and where is that food going to come from? Part of it can grow, come from backyards and part of it can come from aquaponics since there are no other sources of fresh fish. And you know, in all honesty, I think that fresh fish coming from aquaponics is an underrecognized resource. And that should be further developed. And I only don't just mean fish, also mean crustaceans such as uh, the giant freshwater prawn mac- macrobrachium, which is a wonderful product. Um, other states, um, you can't do uh, crayfish here. They are illegal. In other states where you can, um, perhaps crayfish it could, it could be a, a product. Uh, um, the Australians, um, they're they a, a very large species, but they are very, very damaging to the ecology, which we can't happen here but in some states they're legal and they would make a, make a good product. So this is kind of my vision of
0: things in the future. Yeah, great. Thanks for sharing. I have one last question. We ask this to a lot of our guests. Um, what is your superpower? And what I mean by that is, what do you believe your unique contribution to this world is? And it could be aquaponic world, could be integrated agriculture world or it could just be you you as dr brooks what is your superpower
1: i i've been i can only tell you that in fact you mentioned it earlier um people saying that i have a lot of passion regarding the things that i talk about and that that passion came from like again my, my parents my, my mother was a with a passionate scientist you know, she uh, was she discovered uh, the uh, first way to grow a particular virulent disease we have here in the Southwest called belly fever. She discovered that back in the 1950s. Wow. And, uh, um, and they're still working on that disease, spending a lot of money on that, that disease, but it all comes back to her research. You can't cure a disease until you can grow it. And she was the first one to discover how to grow it. Uh, but she left that, that profession because she didn't want to bring it home to her about baby boy. And, uh, at, at that time, or from my father at, as, a, as a pastor. Um, he, he was one of the founders of something we have in the United States called Head Start. Um, Head, Head Start today is a program, a um, federally funded program that has allowed millions and millions of children to be ready for um, kindergarten since the time it was started in the 1960s. And he, and it was a, a good part of, in his obituary, uh, a good part, his idea. <laughs> okay. Uh, he thought of the idea for his church. He looked on his church and said, These, the folks here are not, children are not prepared. Thought of, of a program for his church. Went to D.C. to looked for money. Found people of, of like mind. And eventually became what we now to call today Head Start. And so it's just a, a, a nature of a. Of, You must be passionate about what you do if you want to succeed, because sometimes it's not going to be that easy. You have to believe that that it's possible to do great things.
0: Incredible. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. So yeah, we've been thrilled to have you here and thank you for all you're doing. You really, we do see you, a lot of us in the community as just our leader in moving forward, uh, urban agriculture with uh, aquaponics and we, I think everyone stops and wants to listen to you and hear um, your ideas, especially around uh, food insecurity and urban ag. And uh, we talk a lot around our office about aquaponics really can liberate communities. And I think you're the model of just showing that liberation can happen through aquaponics.